We are live on Rumble, YouTube, Twitter. We're going to be live on Rockfin here in a second. I have a special guest today that I'm excited to talk about. It's a great guest, especially as we are getting closer and closer. We're around nine months away from the 2024 election. Just a ticking uh, a clock that's just moving closer and closer. Will it be a reemergence or are we working our way to doom? I guess it just depends on who you ask. And the Department of Homeland Security has recently released, I believe it was last week, what they deem to be the top threats to the 2024 election, which obviously online conspiracy theories and the questions that they have are one of their top concerns. But another threat that they outlined in their report, which stood out to me, was cyber security attacks on local election infrastructure, which they say could have the greatest impact on the ability of jurisdictions to conduct elections. And specifically, when it came to the attacks on local infrastructure, they, they're concerned about cyber attacks on the integrity of state-level voter registration, poll books, and election websites, as well as on the preparation of ballots, voting machines, and tabulation systems. I, find, I found that the Department of Homeland Security and the Cyber Security Infrastructure Security Agency, which are the ones who deemed the 2020 election the most secure in American history, I find the fact that they are now worried about voting machines being cyber hacked to be interesting because I was under the impression that this was only something that a conspiracy theorist or someone like uh, myself and my guest, uh, Garland Favrito of Voter GA, believed. And Garland has been doing a lot of great work for decades on exposing the vulnerabilities and the corruption in our election system here in Georgia, as well as the challenging the gov government officials that want to cover it up. And there's actually a case that's ongoing related to challenges to the voter integrity system that I think, Garland, you, you know a lot about and might have been closely involved with some of it. And I, I want to get your reaction first to them being concerned about voting machines being hacked. And then I want to hear about what the latest update on, I believe it's Curling v. Raffensperger here in Georgia and how it connects to the 2024 election. For, welcome to the show, by the way, Garland. Thanks for joining. Well, thanks, Brad. Good to be back with you. I'm I'm kind of surprised that they're concerned about cybersecurity. After yeah, me too. All, <laughs> after all, I mean, we did have the safest, most secure election in in American history. In they're going to have to ban their own YouTube page by doing that, because when you talk about those concerns, that's what gets your YouTube page banned. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, so I'm, we'll wait and see uh, if uh, Google's going to ban them. So Somehow yeah. I doubt it. Yeah, me too. I doubt it as well. So, so tell me about this. You had a, a press conference, and it's Curling v. Raffensperger. And I believe this is a, a six-year-old case, but as it's still in the court system, and it's a challenge to the, the security of the election systems. And there's been the 20, so 2020 problems have been brought into that election, if, if I recall correctly, right? Yeah, uh, it's, it's kind of a long story. The, the, it started back in... Um... 2017, when the case was filed, it was filed against the old uh, direct recording electronic voting systems, uh, the curling plaintiffs and the coalition plaintiffs, uh, two plaintiffs they filed against uh, the state uh, election board, Secretary of State, and Fulton County. Uh, Fulton County has since been dismissed from the suit because they can't decide uh, what type of voting system the state's going to use. And then... Uh, so our, our interest in is, is Voter GA's co-founder, Ricardo Davis, 
was a coalition plaintiff he pulled uh, out to get his own attorney and hopefully get some additional evidence on the record, which is what we, uh, I think, succeeded in doing. Um, so I was down there every day as uh, his advisor, um, trying to help him uh, get as much of the evidence that we both feel like needs to be on the record. Um, and um, uh, it was quite a fascinating ordeal, four weeks uh, of trial. And um, uh, every day was a, was a struggle when we had to um, be in court all day and then go home. Uh, we'll get a witness list at Six, somewhere between six and eight thirty, and then have to prepare questions for the witnesses overnight, uh, in order to try to extract as much evidence we could out of them uh, for the court record. And that went on. Uh, we were getting like you know maybe four to six hours sleep on a. Let me ask you: Is that typical for the witness list to come so late at night, and for there to be such little time to prepare? No, it's not typical at all. It's a very good point. Um, uh, but that's the way this trial worked. Yeah. And uh, we had to kind of play along. We were a little bit late to the game. Uh, Ricardo pulled out um, and got his own attorney fairly late. And um, I had to, had to suffer through some restrictions. Uh, but, yeah, it's not supposed to work that way. Um, but it's, it was, it was a, quite an ordeal to recover from. We were uh, exhausted um, after four weeks of, you know, uh, sleeping only half of a night uh, during the week. It's simple to- sabotage, man. All, all of these techniques are like straight from the OSS, which was uh, predated the CIA. They're simple sabotage manual of these minor things you can do to uh, obstruct uh, the opposition or whoever you're battling against. Yeah, yeah. And, and in this case, it was um, we actually got more obstruction from one of the plaintiff attorneys than we did from the defense. So uh, which is kind of a bizarre situation. Um, but at all, uh, in the end, we were uh, able to get uh, a fair amount of evidence on the record, which hopefully will result in the Dominion BMD system being banned in Georgia, uh, being ruled constitutionally deficient, which is what um, I mean, I think we, you know, we both think it is, um, for a variety of reasons, invoking issues and so on. So um, we'll have to wait and see what the judge says. Um, that's the that's kind of the way the trial um, uh, sits right now. She can rule on whether or not the system is constitutionally deficient and whether or not the state's inactions are also a severe burden to our constitutional right to vote. Uh, the state has been uh, not very um, forthcoming in trying to resolve all these cybersecurity uh, issues that's before them. So, uh, that's Even though the DHS is so concerned about them now. Right, right. But uh, that concern has not trickled down to the Secretary of State's office. They, um, you know, Dr. Haldeman hacked the, hacked the system uh, in front of the court for the second time in three years. And, and so that's interesting. I, I saw that. So the, the background on that is he, he released a, a report that showed the vulnerabilities and his ability to to hack into the systems, despite what we were told that they were unhackable, super secure. And then they I think they re, you know, rebuted that or, or, you know, they had an argument against that. And he has come back and he has hacked them again, you're saying. Right, right. Uh, and uh, their, their argument, the defense's argument is, well, you don't have any evidence of actual um, live elections being compromised. This is all academic theory. So one of the reasons why Ricardo wanted to be a film plaintiff 
is so that he could get, put on evidence of the actual vote counting problems that have occurred in a lot of elections and help the other plaintiffs um, uh, win their case that they've been trying to win for six years. They didn't seem to be as interested in putting on that type of, of evidence. It sounds like the court is saying that you've only proven in theory that you can hack this election machine. You have to actually go out and commit a crime. You have to hack it in real time for us to believe it, which then they will just put him in prison if you were to do that. Well, yeah, see, that's the <laughs> that's the defense argument. So, yeah, you're right. So that's exactly what they're arguing. It, it's uh, it, it's ridiculous that stuff like this doesn't get focused on and highlighted in the media. These should be big news stories. I know it's minor details, at least seemingly minor details of court cases, but these are areas where the corruption is truly highlighted is situations where you can only prove the corruption if you commit the crime yourself, which will then invalidate your proof of the corruption. <laughs> yeah, I think that kind of sums it up. <laughs> yeah. So what did you said something a moment ago about there being obstruction from a plaintiff's lawyer in that case, which and it, I should clarify, there was like a recent ruling that you're referring to that happened uh late january something like that in regards to this case this is a, it's still ongoing case that started six year, years ago and has just been uh, uh ongoing with all of the problems that have continued to occur with the voting systems here in georgia and what you just spoke to was the most recent finding from from the court is that correct well yeah the most recent finding was exactly was what um the judge what we call the summary judgment order and that was in October of 2023. And that was when um, the judge says, we're going to go to trial on this. There's enough evidence to go to trial. So we were um, pretty, pretty thrilled about that. Um, finally, we're going to get this evidence before a U.S. district court, thinking that we'll probably get a more favorable ruling than we would in state courts. State courts tend to rule for the state no matter what. Right. What would you say the most important thing related to this case, where it stands now and the evidence that has been put on the record by you guys, is that people need to know related to the 2024 election moving forward? Well, there is. Oh, that's an interesting point. Uh, and I don't know if you can do this, but I just sent you a, a slide deck and there's uh, yeah. number 35 you'll get a real kick out of. But I think if you can pull that one up, yeah, okay. I, th I think that would be uh, something that the um, every the audience would get a real kick out of. All right, because, that one right there? Um, number 35, let's see, keep on scrolling. It's all the way to, you're getting there, you're almost there. It's gonna be a graphic. Um, you keep on going about three more. All right. And one more. This is the one. This one I, right here. Okay. Yeah. I think that you'll get a real kick out of it. It says nobody's responsible for cybersecurity at the top. Exactly. Nobody in the Secretary of State's office is responsible for cybersecurity. <laughs> uh, Gabriel Sterling said, uh, we asked, you know, who's responsible for the election preparation server, cybersecurity, the one that the election preparation server, um, prepares election projects for every county, for every election, and they in turn prepare them for every component. And we asked Gabriel Sterling, well, who is the 
responsible for cybersecurity and Secretary of State. So he said, oh, that's Michael Barnes. <laughs> Michael Barnes is the deputy director. The deputy director says, I don't know anything about cybersecurity. I don't know how how malware can be used to subvert logic and accuracy testing. Um, but Merritt Beaver uh, is responsible. He's the chief technology officer. He's responsible for all cybersecurity. So we asked Merritt Beaver, are you responsible for cybersecurity? He says, well, no, that falls under the purview of Gabriel Sterling. <laughs> and and uh, by the way, we outsourced it to Dominion, and nobody from Dominion showed up to testify. Of course. So, so no one in the Secretary of State's office is responsible for cybersecurity, and we're going into the 2024 election uh, completely naked. It, it appears that way. <laughs> Maybe the AI is in charge now, I guess. <laughs> Uh, so, I mean, what what we concluded out of this is Secretary of State's office is completely incapable of directing any type of election that involves electronic voting systems of any kind. You're referring to the Secretary of State who wrote a book about election integrity, Brad Raffensperger. Yeah, he wrote the book Integrity Counts, and then he he uh, appealed to the 11th Circuit so that he did not have to testify under oath about Georgia elections. That's hardly uh, integrity counting uh, in my book. It doesn't seem very um, – look. they seem to do – it's very Orwellian in these these book titles. They do the opposite of what they're really about. He's not about election integrity. He's about um, uh, election uh, unintegrity, if that's, a, if that's a word at all. It's protecting the establishment's ability to manipulate elections is, I think, what he seems to be more concerned about. In my opinion, and all of this, just when you think about the Fannie Willis stuff going on and, and uh, the New York trial about his Mar-a-Lago properties, nothing highlights the injustice of our justice system more than what has been happening the past couple of years. It's yeah, unbelievable. Yeah. yeah, this is particularly egregious because in his book, Integrity Counts, he writes, the ultimate fact check in the United States occurs in courts of law where witnesses swear to tell the truth. If you want to know the truth, watch what happens in court. Well, we watched, and what happened was he refused to show up and testify under oath. Uh, and and so what's the judge's determination on that? Like if a regular person did that, wouldn't there be some sort of consequence? Yeah, so there is an out for uh, constitutional officers, and he used that out. The judge had already ruled that he had to testify, and he went to the 11th Circuit and got them to overrule the judge to, so that he would not have to testify uh, uh, under oath about all the problems that Georgia elections have. So nobody gets to hold him accountable. Exactly. And that's the fear of the, uh, of the 2024 election is, is the yeah. lack of accountability. Yeah. And that, yeah. That just leaves the door open for them to change it any way they want. And what do you have any expectations of what you ex think are going to occur? In, the, in regards to the outcome of the trial? Uh, the trial and the 2024 election. Well, the trial, we're still probably uh, almost 60 days away from a ruling. She's got a lot of evidence to go through. What would be the next step? 
the next step is for us to um, create uh, what, what they call proposed orders. And she's saying, okay, show me what you propose that I should be doing. And this is kind of a standard practice. The judges always ask the, both sides for proposed orders, and then they consider uh, the orders. Um, so um, that's the next step in the trial. Um, the next step for the elections, we're trying to get some legislative relief right now. We'll be working really hard on this this week. We'll be hit, making multiple trips to the legislature to try and um, and see if we can somehow get some changes made to secure the 2024 election. And reading through the DHS report on securing the 2024 election, where it identifies the disinformation and conspiracy theories and the, the domestic as well as foreign actors, but they do call the domestic threat actors just as much of a threat as foreign actors. And, and they talk about being extra vigilant to cutting off that dangerous mis and disinformation and these violent potential domestic actors who could show up to the polls to disrupt the election. It just sounds to me like they are pinpointing on people who are pointing out these vulnerabilities like this to neutralize them so that they can, once again, with no transparency whatsoever, obviously nobody ruling over this thing, steer it in one direction or another. But I don't think it's going to work out the same way it might have worked out in 2020, depending on what one might believe. Yeah. So when you when you think about this and the fact that they're actually claiming that that's a problem and a threat, yeah. I mean, let's think, let's think about this for a second. Um, first of all, I don't know of any any situation where there's been any kind of violence at a poll. Yeah, uh, it's unheard of. So now they're suddenly out of the blue claiming that this is some kind of a problem that's going to occur. And uh, they are uh, basically just pulling this out of a hat and, and, and trying to focus on this as, a, as an alleged problem. It makes me believe that they are intentionally planning an event yeah. in order to cast blame on people who are exposing problems in order to cover up the cheating and the corruption Yep. that is going to occur. So it sounds to me that they may actually end up being complicit in the, in the cheating by propagating this myth uh, um, and uh, trying to claim that this is what we need to be watching for instead of the yep. cheaters cheating. It's a false flag uh, of sorts. And I, exactly. I, I completely agree with you. I think one of the ways they've kind of uh, gotten the, the situation ready for that is all of these officials, whenever they talk about this stuff, Fannie Willis, Brad Raffensperger, even in this the court filing of motion I heard today or the hearing today about squashing some subpoenas related to the Trump case about trying to expose more stuff that Fannie Willis did. There's always this theme that the establishment attorneys say, yeah, we all, we, we have to do this because of all the attacks. You know, she has to sneak out of the back of the building. And then Raffensburg, you have all the phone calls and the threatening his family and the doxing and whatnot. And 
most of those things we're just told about. Maybe they'll have one phone call from a crazy redneck who sounds like this, which is probably, you know, one of their state actors impersonating. Or maybe there is one or two people who make threatening phone calls. But what public official in this environment on either side of the aisle has not gotten some sort of threatening phone calls? In fact, they amplify one ridiculous threat, which they could probably easily neutralize. And they try and make people believe that this is the environment overall. When I think it's very provably not, especially when you look at the footage of January 6th, that is not only the footage they want you to look at. The people milling and hanging out and having a good time and following the rules. They take one thing, blow it up, and then try and make people think that that's going to happen so that it's believable when they trigger something. That's that's it in a nutshell. Um, and it looks like they're going to do this again on the election. We thought they were going to do it in 2022, but they didn't. Uh, is there a chance to overcome it? Hmm? How do we overcome it? Well, I think the only thing you can do is keep doing what you're doing, which is, yeah. uh, you know, playing by the rules, being polite, Yep. Um, you know, making, you know, good relations with your elections directors, with your poll watching, or uh, it's even better to be a poll worker. Uh, that way you can get more uh, inside information. Yeah, and uh, one person, one vote says here in the chats, they're trying to intimidate people to not question them. No transparency. Absolutely correct. They want people to self-censor themselves so that they can claim we're not censoring anybody. So they create this culture of fear around people who question. Like it used to be if you question the 2020 election, you might as well be a Nazi, uh, you know, carrying water for Putin. And that, that, that's what they try and do, which makes it even more important for people to speak up to make their opinions known, be kind, be polite, follow the rules, just like you just said, Garland. And I think that that is how you prevent them from taking over this. And, and I, I, so I, I had a question for you. At least I want to get your thoughts on this. I moderated the Libertarian presidential primary debate that was in uh, Georgia recently, and a lot of good candidates, a lot of smart candidates. A couple of them, one of them in particular, who. Other than this, he's he has a lot of great policy positions on his website. His, his uh, campaign branding, it's, it, I think his branding person might still be stuck in the 1970s, a little outdated. But um, the, some of the ideas are pretty good, except for his candidate comparison on his website, which I brought up during the debate, which compares him with Biden and Trump. This is Mike Termont, the candidate. And Mike Tremont used to work in Bush's White House, Bush one. He worked for the World Bank, and then he became a, an officer in Broward County for 10 years. People say if there's a Fed on the panel, he's the Fed. I don't know if that's true, but he certainly would fit the profile for that if someone was thinking that way. But well, yeah. Are you sure he's a libertarian? Well, th and this is why I brought this up, because he says this and another thing on his website that's, that says, wow, you seem pro-censorship to me. And this is why one of the reasons I brought up, but in his candidate comparison, he gives the, you know, the reasons not to vote for Biden. And then he gives his own positions. And then the, the comparison of election, you know, the peaceful transition of power, he accuses Trump of spreading the big lie, you know, the big lie, which is that there was fraud, widespread fraud. However, they frame it in, in the election. And my question, because my question was basically you're parroting a propaganda point from the media about the big lie, which is specifically designed to associate Trump with Hitler. So to intimidate people into even questioning the election for fear of being branded a Nazi, which has led to people like me and half of the people on this stage and in this room having their YouTube pages demonetized. And, and, and 
video in myself, videos removed for asking legitimate questions. Then I brought up Coffee County, which you you taught me about. There's uh, nobody. Isn't it Coffee County where it's like 88 votes that everybody agrees, even on the, the side that opposes it, that there were votes flipped from Trump to Biden? Is that correct? Um, well, I think probably no one agrees uh, on everything, but there were uh, we put into evidence a vote flip in Ware County that involved 37 votes. Uh, Coffee County had a bunch of problems. They had um, the system uh, when they did the recount, it added 39 votes. Uh, to, right. and without any change in ballots cast. And then they found 185 ballots that needed to include, and the system didn't recognize them. Right. So, so uh, that, I think that's what I was, was thinking about. It was an AJC article. The reason I say that nobody disagrees is they disagree on the explanation for it. But it, it was uh, an article that actually one of the few that said, here are a number of votes that there was a problem that actually would have gone to Trump, but it wouldn't have made a difference. And the explanation from like the AJC and those who uh, – Try to censor you is that Raffensperger said he fixed the problem. He fired the person. And, and then there was like really no other further investigation. I know you guys weren't allowed to continue uh, auditing and, and looking. And they, didn't they tell you you guys were going to be able to continue ex inspecting some of the ballots in certain counties? Then lawyers intervened. Not lawyers. The judges changed their mind in certain situations. Yeah. The judge suddenly after 10 months decided that we didn't have standing, yep. which, we, which we knew was a lie. That's a big lie in itself. And then we had to go to the Georgia Supreme Court to get that overturned. And then three years later, we still haven't seen the ballots yet. Right. Yeah. And so this was my point, bringing this this information up to him. Um, I I wish I had you there as a consultant to get, you know deliver all the uh, the specifics of it. But I, I I think I got a gist of it for the the it was it. I think I got the point of it across to him that there were these problems that once they were exposed. They were uh, uh, just the investigation of them were prevented. And my question was more or less, why are you putting a propaganda talking point that le led to the censorship of half this room um, on your page? And he got he wasn't happy about it. He, he said, that's not what the big lie is. The big lie is. Blame. I was like, I understand what you're saying. The big lie is. But it, it, it's you know, it it's associated with Hitler. This is a censorship uh, from the top down designed to create self-censorship. And he had no he had no answer. I asked him about the Coffee County stuff and, and the and the election in Georgia, the challenges, and asked him if he knew any information about that. And he said yes. He was clearly not telling the truth, in my opinion. And I, I, I was just a little surprised to see a libertarian candidate accusing Trump of spreading the big lie. You know? Well, yeah, I mean, the big lie from a I would think from a libertarian perspective is when uh, uh, Chris Krebs said that it was the safest, most secure election in American history. Yep. That, to me, is one of the biggest lies that's ever been told. To I brought American that up, people. too. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 said this is, I said this is the most unprovable claim. And that is what the big lie is. Like those two are, are one and the same. It's unprovable. And you're, you're promoting that on your page and you're a libertarian candidate. Libertarians are skeptical. They ask what because my whole thing was like I was trying to ask questions that would challenge that i thought that people who are skeptical independents or libertarian are going to have a problem with and i see somebody spreading that when when you the whole most secure election the big lie i'm like i just people that i know are going to see that and be like this is a propagandist yeah it sounds more like he sounds more like a cia asset than he does a libertarian presidential candidate 
And perhaps that is the case. It was very funny, Garland. The other candidates there, they followed me on uh, Twitter and most of them came up and introduced themselves to me or, or we had already, we knew of each other from uh podcasting world. The only one who didn't know that I was moderating the debate, I co-moderated with, uh, with Clint from uh, Liberty Lockdown. But the only one who didn't know that I was moderating was this guy. A and I, I saw him in the lobby and I was like, oh, hey, and I went to introduce myself. And he, and he, he looked at me like, who is this guy talking to me? Like it was very uh, kind of an uppity attitude. Maybe he was just focused in his head. I, I don't know. But then I, I walked off to the bathroom and my buddy who was there, which Garland, I, they, I had my buddy who impersonates Trump. He, he came in towards the end of the debate. We set it up with a specific question to Chase Oliver. It's like, how are you going to, um, if you were ever on the main stage debate, how would you uh, respond to Trump's attacks? And he went into his question. The way we set it up is my buddy who impersonates Trump comes in and interrupts Chase during the middle of it. And so we had a Trump impersonator. It was, it was pretty good. Everybody had a good time with that. But as I go off to the bathroom, my friend who was standing there, he heard Mike Tremont turn to his buddy and go, because the debate was two and a half hours, which we made it specifically long because we wanted, we knew it would be long, but we wanted to give them an opportunity to at least have a little bit more than just 60 seconds. And he goes, two and a half hours is stupid. Nobody here can last more than 20 minutes than me. <laughs> this guy <laughs> says, you know? <laughs> so it was very funny. And so the other candidate that he didn't, this didn't come up with him because we didn't have enough time, but Chase Oliver, he has tweeted a little bit about how all 61 cases in Georgia, or I think he said in Georgia in his tweets, that tr where Trump challenged the election have been thrown out. So this is kind of similar, not quite as extreme as the big lie accusations, but that's not really a true way to represent those cases as a lot, most of those cases were, actually he said lost. He said Trump lost those cases. They weren't necessarily lost. They were thrown out on standing and procedural issues and the merits of them were never actually investigated. Is that, is that right. correct? And I would go so far as to say they were thrown out on bogus standing issues agree. because it was such a political hot potato that the judges uh, didn't want to touch it. And that's perfect yep. example is our case, which is still alive, but the judge didn't want to touch it. And he came up with this bogus standing ruling that took us a couple of years to go through the Georgia Supreme Court to get overturned. So that case is still alive. I think um, of those 60 cases Based on John Eastman's um, analysis, I think that 30 of them actually got to the stage of presenting evidence. And I believe that roughly 23 of them resulted in a victory for uh, those who you would either consider Trump or those um, representing interests that someone might think were related to Trump or yeah. favored Trump. And this is why I asked Mike Termot after I said some of these things, do you know that? Because for, for me, I understand that most people don't realize this because they've heard one talking point from the mainstream media. And if they just don't realize it because they haven't, it hasn't gotten into their media bubble, then that is better than them realizing it and yet continuing to propagate otherwise. And he, he didn't really have much of an answer for that. But as a libertarian candidate, and maybe I'd be a bad candidate, one of my things against those two, if I were running against them, would, would just be simply highlighting that they are parroting two of the most 
easily uh, disprovable or pro like you can discredit them, these talking points, that the mainstream media parents. And I, I just don't that, that to me signals that you can't trust them overall. I don't I don't know. I don't know how they would respond to that if they I think Chase Oliver actually probably would respond to that. He seems like he's been responsive to to things. Mike Tremont, he he does seem a little bit like a fed to be honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> so where where did this where did this debate take place? It was in Conyers, Georgia. Ted Metz was there. And uh yeah, it was in Conyers at the Libertarian Convention here in Georgia. And it was a good time. The cans were all very smart. I was I was impressed. Uh, by them and by their ability to be up there for so long, even even Mike Tremont, I, I thought he's he seemed like a, a nice guy afterwards, but I still have a problem with his uh, big lie. I don't like people spreading propaganda, uh, but it was the mo my whole thing was like let's make it an, a, a debate that's not. I watched all the other debates that made me want to blow my head off, and this is kind of my. I was like let's try and like make it where at least it looks good, and let, let's let's get them interacting and stuff. And uh, Clint, who co-moderated, did a good job, and I thought all the candidates did good interacting and um yeah it was definitely uh interesting it's the first time i've ever done something like that specifically well i referenced chase oliver a lot in fact um and uh we have him on a slide i don't know if you know about this one but we got this evidence in on the record in the case but uh the gpb twitter feed uh for the u.s senate race in 2022 which chase was running in uh showed that Herschel Walker had lost 20,000 votes in a four-minute span between 959 and 1003. Yeah, that's right. And Chase's votes had gone up by 336 during that four-minute span. Uh, and uh, Raphael Warnock's votes went up 4,036, but Herschel Walker's votes went down 21,586, I think is the numbers. So uh, we referenced that a lot. We actually put that in evidence, and we found out that the uh, elections – director is by the fact me handing him the gpb twitter feed he never investigated that uh and he he, he made up a, an implausible excuse for it what was the excuse he claimed that there was a uh it was probably due to a uh an older interim upload that was uploaded during the process and that could cause vote totals to go down uh, but it would not cause vote totals to go down. If it did, it would go. They would all go down for all three candidates, not just one, while the other two go up. That's so when we when we challenged him on that, then he admitted that he he never actually investigated it. And yet the explanation was accepted still, despite lack of investigation. Well, he gave that was the explanation he gave. So I think we've hopefully we've shot enough hole in that. We'll see. Yeah, yeah. Now that's something I I wish I would have uh, remembered that. I, now that you say that. I, I do remember you uh, showing us that on some of the slides, but the comment here was said, talking about the judge in your case, the judge will probably rule, uh, go to hand mark is from uh, one person, one vote judge will probably rule to go to hand mark, but still machine scanned, uh, but still machine scan counted. So it's still problematic. And mm -hmm. I think you were talking about something like that in that press conference where there's just no way to have that accountability on the yeah, that's a distinct possibility. Um, they are right about that. That's one of the options that the judge could do. The judge could just say that the ballot margin device is constitutionally deficient. Uh, the judge could say that the entire system is constitutionally deficient. Uh, and the judge could even say that the Secretary of State's office processes are constitutionally deficient. So, or any combination of those things. So, yeah. 
Um, we'll have to kind of wait and see, but that certainly is a possibility. And uh, that's exactly right. If that's the what, if that's the way she goes, that certainly would be problematic. Yeah, a couple comments here from Rockfin. Retod, Retod says it's insane for anybody to think that people seeking positions of power would be deceptive to those who they intend to rule over. I I agree. It's insane possibility to think about that. Denver Radaway mm-hmm. says, I think talking about the the uh, cases that were thrown out, they were thrown out pre-discovery, which prevented any uncovering of wrongdoing to the people that that uh, stole the election for the Biden regime. And that's the idea. I tell people when I was in law school, I was a little surprised when I learned that if you just get the font wrong on your legal brief your, uh, for your case, then you get an F because the idea was you have to nail it because the judge can find any reason to throw things out. And you don't want your case to be thrown out on something like that. Yeah. You got to have 14 point times New Roman. Yeah, yeah, you got it. You're right. You got to get it right. Because if not, and they, and they, there's like, and these judges are looking for reasons. Nobody wants to touch this. Nobody wants to deal with this stuff. And don't give them a reason to throw that, throw that out. So I see in the background there, you have voter GA unplug. And you're referring to the voting machines there. Is this a new initiative? Right. right. We want to unplug Georgia. We want to unseal the ballots. And then we want to unleash trust through transparency. <laughs> unleash trust, yeah. Yeah, that's that's been our slogan um, for the last um, at least six months to a year. I like that. I like the new poster. It looks good. But before moving on to the next subject I want to talk about with you, is there anything that you ever, people should know about this trial or just anything in general that you want to get out there before we uh, change gears? I think we covered the basics, um, Brad. I think I think that's there's nothing else that's jumping out at me at the moment. All right, perfect. Well, let me if something does, let me know. I want to ask you about. I, I've kept a lot. I've kept up with the uh, Fanny Willis. She calls herself Fanny Willis, like she's French or something. I call her Fanny Willis, an ass, because that's what she is. This case, uh, you said before the show you haven't necessarily been uh, up to date on the latest happenings. You've been working on this other stuff. But I know that you guys had John Eastman in there uh, giving a presentation not long ago. And uh, it's all closely connected. It's, well, just what is your in general thoughts on the fact that Fannie Willis, who has a very, very questionable history when you look into it, and connections to she is the boss. She used to be the boss of I shouldn't say boss because they would say they, they would find a tech they would say yeah he she wasn't his boss the guy who was the judge over the Trump case used to report to her at the DA's office she she was effectively his boss okay and everything just gives her power to behave corruptly without much scrutiny from what I've seen thus far what are your thoughts on everything going on with her well, starting with the judge, Judge uh, McAfee, McAfee um, we, our folks filed a complaint about Brad Raffensperger. Bob Kuvert filed this complaint um, about Raffensperger. And it was, he had 26 counts in there, if I recall, or 27. And the inspector general he filed it with at the time was none other than uh, uh, Scott Mac- McAfee, who is now the judge. It's and, unbelievable. And McAfee was the inspector general for um, the uh, for Brian Kemp. 
Yeah. And uh, he filed this complaint, and McAfee said that we will only uh, investigate one of these 27, and he picked the one about Pro-V&V conducting an audit on the November 2020 election. So, Bob, and by the way, we have a press conference about this up on the Voter GA um, website. It's called the Judicial Interference. And right at the end of it, we go into this story. And Bob tells a story how he uh, filed a complaint. Uh, the uh, Scott said he's only going to look at one, which is the lie Robert uh, that Brad Ravensburger said that Pro V&V conducted audits in November 2020 in six counties. And uh, Blake Evans, the state election director, repeated this on the stand. And then uh, it turns out that uh, Bob Kubert, uh, after uh, Judge, uh, well, at that time, Scott McAfee, after he said that there was, he said, it actually happened. There's no uh, complaint. There's no issue. Uh, Bob Kubert had said that the audits were never conducted. And uh, and uh, Scott said, well, yeah, they were they were conducted. He says, well, how do you know that? He says, well, I called Brad Raffensperger and he said so. And I called Pro V&V and they said so. And Bob Cooper says, did you call the counties and talk to them? And he said, no. So Bob Cooper goes out and get, files open records requests for all six counties. And they all said that Pro V&V had never been there. First of all, they don't, ProVMV doesn't even conduct audits in the first place. They only do health checks by matching hash values of the of the um, software as it originally in its original state versus the hash value of the software in the install state. That's all they do. They don't do an audit, and uh, so not only do they not do audits, but they never visited any of those six counties, despite what uh, Scott McBee said. So basically, McAfee covered up for Brad Ravensburger, and then he is now the judge on the <laughs> trial. Yes. Uh, so this is how how it's like comic book villainy. How the system is? Yeah, it's uh, it, it, yeah, it's like a bunch of a bunch of thugs, mob thugs, calling their mob boss and saying, "Hey, mob boss, is there any corruption going on in the district you control?" And the mob boss saying, "No corruption," and then saying, "Ah, oh, the mob boss says he's not committing any crimes." It, it's it might as well be like a, a GI Joe episode with Cobra. And yeah. to that point, today there was a hearing in front of Judge McAfee uh, about the Trump case in which it was di a district attorney, Willis, who used to oversee McAfee at the DA's office years ago, uh, is seeking to disqualify or, or to quash uh, to subpoenas to testify about her disqualification. So the, the, uh, the other side requested to have all these people who used to work with her come testify because there's a non-disclosure agreement that Fannie Willis put out right after all of this happened, telling people who worked at the DA's office, they better not talk. So now they're seeking to bring some of these people in so that they can talk because they're trying to prove that Fannie Willis had a relationship with this guy, Wade, prior to him being hired. So they were banging and then she hired him. And it probably goes back. Even I'm going to be honest with you. I, I have decided that Fannie Willis is the Harvey Weinstein of fat black women. Except she gets away with more because she is, in fact, a fat black woman. 
she does not get scrutinized for it. In fact, she gets defended in any accusation, even if provable, is racist. I mean, they, they, they accused her of being in an improper relationship with this guy she hired. And at first, she didn't admit it. She called the accusation racist, and then she admitted it. I mean, that's crazy that people are defending this woman. And when you look at her history, I started to dig into her history. But let me show you something funny real quick. And then I'll go back to what happened at the end of this, this, this uh, little hearing here. I, I looked into who her husband is. You, you haven't, do you know anything about Fannie Willis's husband? No, I don't. Nobody does, apparently. There's two sentences on every single description. And then you look at all the five facts about Fannie Willis's husband. And there's no new information about it. The story itself is weird. She was taking the bar exam, and apparently after or before the bar exam, it's very vague, she happened to stumble upon a man who was roaming around, I guess, inside the building with a camcorder filming people who she thought had nice legs, who she said gave, him, gave her two children, and then the next piece of information you get about that is, and then nine years later, they got divorced. Nothing else about him. First of all, there are rules about taking the bar exam. You can't just have someone roaming around with a video camera who's 20 years older than everybody else in the building. It's very weird. But nobody asks that question. Nobody says, clarify the specifics of your meeting with your husband, which maybe that would be a minor thing if this were another situation. But when you can't find anything out about your past and you, your father was a hardcore communist with the Black Panthers and she learned those tactics growing up and nobody can find anything out about your mother, then these questions become relevant, especially when you're looking at a corruption case. And the only information that I could find about her husband in these five facts about your husband type articles, it showed this picture of Fanny with her husband. I want, I want to see if you notice, I know I did this on the show the other day, but I want to see your reaction. I want to see if you notice anything interesting about Fanny Willis's husband in this photo, in this article titled, Who is Fanny Willis's Husband? Is She Married? Relationship with Ex-Husband Fred Willis. Here's the image. I mean, don't read the, don't read the part on the right. It'll give it away. <laughs> you notice anything about, it, it says, it says on the picture, Fanny Willis's ex-husband. <laughs> he looks familiar. Shaquille O'Neal. That's Shaquille O'Neal. That's what I thought. I, I, so I tweeted the other day, somebody needs to find this mysterious uh, Fred Willis guy because Shaquille O'Neal has stolen his identity and is parading around as Fred Willis, apparently. But she, she went to an event with Shaquille O'Neal a few years ago. And ever since then, every article about her ex-husband has included th this picture they took together as though that was her ex-husband because you can't find a photo of him otherwise. It's, is that not wild right there? That is wild. Like that to me makes everything about her past relevant in any of these hearings that McAfee did today about bringing in because she, they're talking about squashing these witnesses who could potentially reveal things about her past, about where she was, about staying at this safe house with, she apparently stayed at a Fulton County paid for safe house with Wade, the prosecutor. So the, the taxpayer dollars are paying for a little luxury room for them to, to, to hook up in and not, I mean, that's on top of the vacations, but the, her defense is like, you know, we need to squash all this stuff. They're just trying to expose things about her personal life. And I'm saying these things about her personal life are very relevant when you have pictures of Shaquille O'Neal all over the internet being paraded around as though it's her husband. Who, who printed that? That this is from about six different articles. It's not just one. I have a montage, I made a tweet out like a montage of these different articles that all have Shaquille O'Neal, a photo of him, where they reference him as her husband. And no picture of her husband anywhere is to be found. And yet they want to quash witness testimony 
about details of her life in this Fulton County case to get her removed from the trial. I mean, this is like, this is Gotham City level and Batman type of corruption right here, in my opinion. And you have this circular thing where you, where you pointed out with McAfee and, and Raffensperger, they're all, all the mob bosses are asking each other if there's any corruption going on. And then telling the general public, nah, everything's cool. And so what happened at this hearing today was the, they found, Judge McAfee did, or he said that he was going to, uh, the, he said the DA, Willis, the disqualification is possible, okay, if evidence warrants it. And he indicated that he may permit testimony from some witnesses moving forward, which some are reporting this is like a good positive thing. Yes, it's going to move forward, the, the you know, investigation into her. But I watched the hearing and he very reluctantly did this. I feel like the only reason he agreed to let it continue moving forward is because it's so, so obvious how corrupt it is that anybody watching who, saw, who, who watched the judge say no to it would realize how corrupt he is as well. And he made it clear that he was going to closely scrutinize and control these hearings moving forward to prevent any salacious, unnecessary details from coming out. So what I anticipate happening is the judge during the hearings intervening anytime any actual real damning information is going to come out. Because again, Fannie Willis used to effectively be his boss. I mean, it's just wild stuff. You it's, can't I mean, make this stuff you up. You really can't. It's crazy. I mean, it's, nobody would believe it. I just can't imagine being the lawyers on the other side of it. You're pleading your case. And th this woman laid out a case that's just like, how do you deny any of that? And then when you look at Fannie Willis as represented from the district attorney office, she's got nothing. She's got, you watch the, the hearing. It's like an hour and a half. Fannie Willis's representative has nothing to argue, ag argue back against the, the claims on the other side, except this is wrong. This is just a way, like, there's no substance to her arguments at all. Yet I'm pretty confident that she'll probably turn out uh, on the, on the, the win side uh, of this thing. I, I, what, Fannie Willis should be on, she should be tried. She should be scrutinized on the stand. She should be moved, but she's not going to be removed in my opinion. She's never going to step down because she wants that position of power. And also if she steps down, then the other guy will get fired. And the only reason the other guy is banging her is because he gave her that position of power. Because when you look at the other guy's wife, Garland, his ex-wife, she's smoking hot. She's super fit, beautiful. You don't go from a 10 to a, a potato. That's just not what guys do unless you're getting put in a position of power. And that's what she did. She is the Harvey Weinstein. And, and I think this is why she has that NDA of people in her office. I'm speculating. So no defamation here, Fanny. I'm speculating that you're going to find uh, more than a few other people who've been intimidated by Fannie Willis in, in a number of ways uh, if they were to allow this to come out. But I don't think they will because it will expose the corruption of all of their regime. The fact that Fannie Willis is corrupt is the reason that she is leading this because she is controllable. And that's how they do this stuff. It's like a movie, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I'm just, uh, I have a feeling I may end up testifying in one of these cases here as an expert. So I, I'm going to have to reserve my comment. Yes. So yes, this is all, all me. Uh, yeah. <laughs> of course, mommy says when you try to tell people how corrupt all this stuff is, they, they can't even try to comprehend or care. 
No, like, like I, I just, I, do you, I wonder if this picture of Shaquille O'Neal with Fannie Willis would be admissible in court. Your Honor, the internet represents Shaquille O'Neal as being Fannie Willis's ex-husband. Are we allowed to ask questions about that? Or does that make me a Russian conspiracy theorist Nazi? Just please, can we, can we discuss that here? And McAfee's going to just rule, nope, you can't bring this irrelevant evidence in. And then he's going to go suck off Fannie Willis in the back room. I'm guessing. Speculation, Fanny. Speculation. <laughs> I, get, I, it just, I, I just get reading this shit about her. It's just like so crazy. It's like, I didn't realize to, to reach these levels of, of power, I needed to become just like a super corrupt, right-suppressing communist who just sucks the D of the man like 24 hours a day. I had no idea. They didn't teach me that in school. I, I won't be able to be seen with you again. <laughs> My apologies, Garland. <laughs> oh, oh, I think yeah. you're on the war path tonight. I've been on the war path ever since I started looking into this woman. I, I, I it just when you can't find information about these public figures when it's so obvious they've been wiped and they've had some professional create a new type of background for them that shows up at the top of the search engines. And the other stuff is there sometimes. It's just buried so deep nobody finds it. You got to go look at newspaper archives to find it. I, I'm just like, well, clearly. They have compromising information to control these people. And the questions that don't get asked are what bothers me. If you're a journalist, and this is Fannie Willis's relationship history story. This is the way it's told. Fannie Willis in 2026, not 2026, it's not even fucking 2026, excuse my language. In, in 1996, meets, meets a man, like I said, in the hallways, Bar exams, the regulation of who can come in and out of that building are very tight. So I don't know why this guy's in there filming people. Sees a guy roaming around, meets this guy. They get married. They, they're married for nine years. They get divorced. Nobody knows why. Nobody knows what happened to him. And when they got divorced in 2005, she apparently took 17 years off to recover from that divorce because she, she didn't date another person again until 2022, according to the telling of this, the story on Wikipedia and these articles, apparently. And I'm just wondering what, what happened in those, those 17 years in between. Does well, that could be when she was um, doing her Marxist revolutionary activities. I don't know. Which she learned from her father, who dated, what, what was the communist? Oh, fuck, I forgot her name, sorry. Angela something. He, he, he was dating like a really, really famous communist. Some people say that it's her mom. It's not her mom. But you would know who it was if, uh, if I could remember the name. <laughs> everything about her and everything about the information missing just screams for questions to be asked, and nobody asked them. <laughs> nobody asked them. Oh, man. Fanny sounds like an effing spook, says Denver Attaway. I don't disagree. Don't well, disagree. you've got um, <clears throat> on the other side of the coin, uh, you know, there are articles of impeachment against um, – Finally, in the House and the legislature right now, uh, House Bill, House Resolution 872. Uh, there's a, an investigation in the Georgia Senate into the Fulton County Jail and why the district attorney's office is not uh, running, you know, prosecuting these people who have been in jail for years and years. I think even up to 10 years without a trial. And then, of course, the U.S. Uh, House is also conducting an investigation into 
all this. So I'm good. I, I'm glad yeah. they're doing that. Yeah. Maybe, maybe we'll get some answers, but then again, you know, it could turn out to be like the Kennedy assassination investigation. Could be. Right. It could end up being like Warren Commission, but absolutely uh, we'll, we'll see did you see the kennedy ad during the super bowl last night RFK? i did <laughs> what did you think of it one of the better ads i saw all night yeah it, it was unique it pulled on nostalgia yeah and it was not an attack ad and i know he's getting a lot of heat over his family members mad at him for using his uh dead family members in his ad and he's actually was trying i don't know what the outcome of this is if there is has been an outcome yet he was trying to get on one of the libertarian debate stage which libertarians uh are, have been opposing because he is so pro-war which i don't disagree with the opposition of that so it'll be interesting to see how that turns out but the ad was was a good ad now let me maybe maybe i was wrong on this opinion let me see what you think garland are you going from the woman on the right to the woman on the left <laughs> um <laughs> well, uh, I would have to say no, but I'm I'm happily married. So I know you're happily married. You can't comment on that. Yes, married. of course. Yes, yes. <laughs> I'm just yeah. Uh, it just it just seems like there's going to be some bribery and compromising going on in order to make that happen right there. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe she's a super charming woman when she's not being just a rabid bitch. I don't know. Maybe the future will tell. So one final thing on Fanny. You know, she was the lead prosecutor for the Atlanta school cheating scandal. Remember that? Uh, yeah, I had, uh, had very, I think I'd heard that once. Yeah. I, so I did some research on the Atlanta school cheating scandal because after finding that out, I said, maybe that really didn't turn out the way that I thought it did. Or maybe it wasn't as clear cut as uh, of these people were guilty as it seemed to be. And turns out it wasn't. In fact, turns out that it was a super corrupt case where, and, I, and this is not Republicans. These aren't conservatives. These are far left progressive African Americans who have organized uh, around this effort against Fannie Willis, accusing her of over criminalizing black people, uh, of behaving as a racist would to, towards black people, and rewarding people who just submitted to her will and admitted guilt some of whom were guilty of committing crimes during the Atlanta cheating scandal, changing grades of students, right? But they got to go free. Meanwhile, the ones who are still maintaining their innocence have been tied up in court for a decade now almost. And their lives have been kind of destroyed financially because they have maintained that they are not guilty. Everybody kind of viewed the Atlanta cheating scandal as a uniform thing where all of the defendants did the same thing. That's not the case. Because the media narrative around it was built by Fannie Willis and the person who was the previous district attorney in Fulton County, who those two were like best buddies for 16 years. He had a picture of her on the wall until she was told that a hashtag Me Too story was coming out about him that she would be able to take advantage of, to which she stabbed him in the back and did and ran for office. They were best buddies up until the, they were both, uh, um, by all accounts, bullies who manipulated the law to get what they want. And they both worked on this case together. And there was a third lawyer who worked on the case as well, who was the only one who has admitted that what they did was wrong in that case. Th these two refused to uh, admit it. Th they would go to this one woman who does a podcast on this, who had no incentive to be involved in the cheating. 
the the people, the defendants who were found or who pled guilty, they got a financial incentive if their students or if their school had an overall increase in the you know testing grades. So that is where the motivation for changing the grades comes from. One of them did not get any reward. There was she could have made all of her students get 100 on every single test ever, and it would not have resulted in her getting another dollar. So there was no actual reason for her to do that. And this is part of her argument. And it's a very good argument when you listen to her uh, talk about this uh, on this podcast. She's, in my opinion, clearly innocent, yet she is the one that Fannie Willis has targeted the most or, and did through that case because she did not just submit to Fannie's will. And to me, I think this is a model of, of what she's trying to transfer over to the Trump case when it comes to giving these plea deals out that, that she was given out? Well, you know, uh, historically, even before Fannie Willis, that district attorney's office um, has been pretty corrupt. Um, totally. Getting back to Paul Howard. And uh, I, I, you probably remember the case of Amy Bermucci, who was shot um, in her bedroom by police officers who broke in and then uh, Fulton County charged her with a crime and forced her to plead guilty to something she didn't do. Yeah. Uh, and because she couldn't afford to uh, to fight it. So she had to take this plea deal. So, I mean, this is this is a tactic that Fulton County uh, has used even even before Fannie Willis got there. Yeah, she she was there with the I think it was Howard, the guy before. Right. And they they were have you seen the movie Scrooged? Uh-uh. You know the you know the story of, of Scrooge where Marley is his best buddy and they were yeah, you know, they portray Marley and in, in uh Scrooge, who's Bill Murray in that movie Scrooge, as being when Marley comes back, as being just these high level, very wealthy, uh corrupt uh businessmen who just uh, you know they had they paid for women to be around but they they did their corruption in cahoots and they loved it that is how reading about Fannie Willis and her predecessor uh, who she joined on the hashtag me too campaign with uh, to get out of there so she could win you know she she's on audio saying that we need a uh, DA in Fulton County who's not going to have sex with their employees and who's not going to enrich themselves off of public money the very thing that she's doing now that's that's how she won because her boss is doing it too. Well, they come off as Scrooge and Marley, just loving the way they they manipulate the system for their own benefit in, in corrupt ways. Leading up for 16 years, she worked there, and then she turns on them. She, I, I think she has just been. I think she's an institutional uh, corrupt operator who is shielded by the fact that she's a fat black woman. Well, you know, there's <laughs> another. The, the other thing uh, is that she's on video saying that there were serious problems with the 2020 election. Right. <laughs> yeah. What, what, really? What, so yeah. I don't think I'm familiar with that one. Yeah. I'll have to find that clip for you, but um, we've, we've got her on, um, I think a video or audio um, where she was being interviewed and she's talking about the issues with the, uh, with the election. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, I'd love to hear that. Dan Radway says he points out that in Scrooge, Jacob Marley and Scrooge, Bill Murray's character, they were actually media executives. So that would fit the bill for everything yeah. that goes on here. Yeah. For sure. So, 
Well, Garland, I appreciate you bringing uh, the great information like you always do and listen to me rant like like you often do as well. Uh, <laughs> I always enjoy talking to you. And is there where can people find you and any events you want to let people know about moving forward? Well, uh, voterj.org. Um, if, if you know if you're in the Georgia area, you'll find probably find our press conference particularly interesting. It's up on the events tab. And uh, again, we are 501c3 nonpartisan nonprofit and uh, all volunteer. So um, all the contributions go to legal fees, and uh, we are trying to keep uh, this case going so we can ban this Dominion voting system. Uh, and uh, hopefully secure the 2024 election, among other things. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, great job, Garland. I admire your work and everything you do, and I appreciate it. And thanks for coming on again. We'll have you on again soon. Thank you, everybody, for watching. And uh, Frighten Me says thanks, Garland and Brad. We'll talk to you all next time. Have a fantastic rest of your day. <laughs>